in a land not far away from where your dreams become reality. Here we are again. Coming soon. <laughs> Whatever. Hello, everybody. This is the what the Knockout Podcast, episode four. We've been inconsistent so far, which is the uh, ultimate sin when trying to kick off an independent music or artistic project. Consistency is king and embarrassing levels of uh, output. Tons of volume, I think, is also king. I have things we can talk about there, too. Um, just uh, a philosophy I'm approaching all this with that's kind of updated. But um, Andrew and Camelia are with me. Introduce yourselves and your fields of expertise. Um, my name is Camelia. I've been helping Joseph release a track a week um, and documenting it on my blog as well as his, his Gumroad site. Um, I have a music blog called Music for All where I've just been trying to support musicians um, who are fighting for personal autonomy and free expression in these controversial times. Um, and so, yeah, I'm very excited to, to be working with Joseph and that's, that's it. And uh, my name is Andrew Grathwall. I am uh, the boyfriend of the lovely Camellia. Um, I work in the audio and tech space and uh, used to do a lot of music mastering, um, which is kind of how I initially got involved here, too. Uh, and, yeah, excited to chat about whatever. And Andrew's been mastering all the tracks. They're a dream team scenario. And, um, yeah, so we launched a Gumroad, which we've kind of haven't, fully embraced yet um so thank you for your patience the people supporting us early days on gumroad we're putting everything together and sort of forming a plan of attack and as with all these kind of projects things reveal themselves and you sort of follow inspiration but um we have it in our head that we want to do more in that regard and also maybe keep more consistency with this podcast um, you know, but there's only so much bandwidth all the time. And one thing I was, I had Keith Thomas on my TNT radio show and he was telling me about TikTok. Um, and really that that's where the music business is now. If you want to launch, um, a career in music or in the arts, there's really no being too cool for social media because honestly, that's just where people are paying attention for, for better or for worse. I mean, that's an uncomfortable thing for most people in my generation um, to a degree. We, we came up in the 90s when it was like, oops, I'm accidentally a genius and oops, I'm accidentally famous. Please stop paying attention to me. I can't help being this talented. I hate all this attention. Look at me more. No, I hate all this. Stop looking at me. I'm a genius. I can't. That That was kind of what we were supposed to do. The The fact of the matter is, though, that the new music business or the sort of new uh, way of independence really revolves around participation in social media. I mean, am I right about that? It's the new landscape, I think. Um, a lot like how the ravers in the 90s in England discovered warehouses and illegal sites could be a new kind of concert ground. Now right. social media is a new kind of landscape that musicians can work with. Yeah. I mean, is there another game in town? I mean, the days when you could, like, make your own recordings and the weight of how great your songs were were going to get to some magical A&R guy that was going to then call you up and say, Columbia Records is going to give you millions of dollars and support you through your journey, your artistic journey writing songs as you build your fan base over the next five to ten years just doesn't exist anymore those people aren't going to sign anyone who hasn't accumulated a massive base on social media with tons of engagement and by the time you accumulate that you really don't need any outside resources because you can cultivate those through your base directly and then you're not working for anybody 
Um, if you want to take it to some epic new level, of course, then you can make a deal and then they can give you an influx of new resources and then you can explode and expand. But then, um, you know, you're signing away some of your independence, I suppose, to some degree. Um, but so anyway, I think people like us, the approach, the re a realistic approach for to social media in today's landscape just seems incredibly cheesy and embarrassing really because like what my what my friend keith thomas said he um produced like amy grant and vanessa williams tons of hits won nine grammys he's from the old school music business but he's approaching tiktok or about to in a similar way that i've started to this week which is to even push the algorithm to nudge anybody to pay attention to your page you have to post like five times a day apparently which is just absurd you know but you have to kind of get used to that you know it it's like this like explosion of content that has to sort of happen if you're going to move the needle i think and camilla how long do things take usually to happen in music you know in the music industry like it's not exactly known for being a fast-moving world. And so this really uh, does ask the question, right, what are the labels able to even do for you to make this successful? The music industry does seem to now have a new challenge where they have to be able to move faster and to be able to withstand five posts a day. That's a lot of new content. That's, yeah, I mean, I think that's the thing, too, with us all doing this with, like, a, a very small team is the amount just creating the content and then you're like, I did it, but then you have to figure out the exact right place to put it. Um, obviously, if you're saying things that are deemed controversial, certain social media is different and then you always, it's, I mean, I, I think that's why what we're doing is so important because figuring out how to like completely independently navigate all of this in marketing, like that marketing and social media is the hardest piece of all of this because it's you can't look at what the traditional industry has taught you because it doesn't apply here because you're not trying to get pitchfork to write about you because they're not going to so it's like you just have to and think. would it it wouldn't matter if they did i mean yeah, like yeah. 10 years ago if pitchfork gave you a 9.2 review maybe even 15 i don't know how many years ago but like several years ago if pitchfork gave you a 9.2 review you're a star basically i mean but is that true now i don't know i haven't gone on pitchfork in so long i i don't even know if it still exists if it still moves the needle maybe it does maybe people pay attention to it but really it just seems like you have to sort of readjust to what the new uh landscape is indie rock nonsense and for that to I don't know. I'm not sure if like what you have to surrender to achieve that is, is worth it in any way. Cause I mean, even something moving a needle, what does that mean? Like you get like a hundred, you sell a hundred records. Like, I don't know if that's even, I mean, yeah. I think it's a lot like when I, like from where I would work, it would, it would be exciting to get best new music, but um, yeah, I'm not, I'm not even sure recently. But it, it used to be a star turn, just like mm -hmm. Johnny Carson. If you went on Johnny Carson back in the day, you became a household name that's it not then it was letterman leno conan i did i think i did letterman five or six times it just doesn't it didn't move the needle like mitch hedberg had a joke about like yeah i went on uh uh you know the tonight show more i think more people saw me at the supermarket you know like and it's a f funny joke because it's like it just didn't seem to have that big of an influence it was always great to do and and felt like oh i'm participating in a historical childhood dream sort of thing so on that level it was amazing but it didn't operate the way johnny carson operated 10 years ago if pitchfork big up to you you're selling out like big rooms all over the country i mean now i i don't know what the numbers are but i can't imagine it has that same influence anymore like sure it's still probably great to get best new music in pitchfork or something like that but i can't imagine it's as influential as when bonavir first emerged for instance 
I mean, you know what I mean? It's true. I mean, yeah. I've had a few friends get it now, and I will say the time at which they got it really stands out to me. I, uh, the first friend of mine that got Best New Music, the label threw a big party uh, at the Standard, you know, and wow, they rented LA. out the Boom Boom Room. No, in New, New York. York and, nice. Um, <laughs> that was the significance of the Pitchfork review. And then a little while after that, I remember another friend got it. And they still had like a nice celebration out at the bar, but then my third, th- my third friend got it, and it was just kind of like, oh, that's cool, you know? right? And that was more recently. Uh, yeah, the last couple it, of years, you know, why would you need it? Because like Live Nation already bought up all the venues. You don't really need to look up bands anymore. I think that's what Pitchfork often was was a way yeah. to learn about the the artists and get their credibility out there. It's like Rolling Stone. I mean, yeah. what what influence does Rolling Stone have now in terms of the music industry? I mean, maybe in the pop realm or some realm that we don't really pay attention to, but certainly not. I mean, everything's so scattered, and social media is really the main thing. So this is good because there are there really are no gatekeepers except for your own judgment of your own attempt which is embarrassing. You have to be willing to like forgo the idea of other people's judgments because even to be an artist and be perceived as making a great effort from the from like the example I gave about Kurt Cobain of like oh I'm accidentally a genius is like it goes against type. You're not supposed to look like never let them see you sweat kind of thing. It's like, and in music and rock and roll, it's more like, oh my God, I'm Keith Richards. I'm just playing Italian and I'm smacked out of my mind. And oh no, there's a stadium full of people, but I can't be fucked, mate. You know what I mean? Like that, like not I'm Keith Richards and I'm posting five times a day on TikTok. Check out this riff. Check out this. Now I'm I'm responding to somebody else's video here. I mean, these are the new games that you have to play, but you can also make it your own. And what I've discovered this week and what I'm starting to form and push towards, which I think when we open up a Discord to sort of help people overcome creative limitations, we can talk about this stuff. I think... The fix to all this is you need to turn and start perceiving social media like an art form, a new art form. Almost approach it like you're Andy Warhol. And what would he do? And and so you can still like even use the cheesy tropes, but he would take something cheesy like that and make it the coolest thing on earth. And that is, to me, the sort of... Uh, secret sauce that you need to find you kind of have to be like a socialite at scale it's kind of right. like what it is right and that is sort of an artistry um, it is like your persona that you craft from that it can be highly contradictory like Kurt Cobain's was but it can also be just like super righteous and like right on with how you think and feel and that also is a new thing it accelerates yeah. everything I think you're doing that pretty well these days uh, thank you I appreciate you saying that. I'm I'm working at it, and you guys are helping me a great deal do that. And I want us to, you know, even get more organized. But it's also a just, it is a slow-moving process, like even getting this camera, working, getting loop back. You know, now loop back is like, whatever, bro. Course loop back's on. It's always on, you know. Loop back, schmoop back. But remember when we went through the whole like we had to learn that and all this and this and you know. And now it's like so you get the the factory. Let's keep it in the Andy Warhol realm. You get the factory set up, and then once the factory set up, you start plugging in the results of the factory. So that's also another appeal to the Gumroad people that like we are. Obviously, you can see the effort we're putting in. That's actually what we're even talking about. And we will start veering that effort towards some more exclusive stuff, and it will be well worth it. But just have patience with us because, you know, I have a 15-month-year-old. A there, I'm playing the child card. I have a child. How dare you? <laughs> well, I think to go back a little bit to the social media thing also, I think, um, and then just things that kind of throw people off the rails creatively when they're working on new things. Um, for me, personally, this is something that Andrew and I were talking about earlier this week, is the 
and obviously you know about this, the mental health toll that social media takes on you, and then also needing that as a resource to help find fans, and how difficult that can be. For me, that's how I was finding a lot of like-minded musicians and fans for my blog, but then in putting yourself in that world, you're getting all the bad stuff too. And so yeah. it's, it's really hard to not like get affected negatively by it while you're trying to use it as a useful tool. That's deep what you just said. And no, it's true. And TikTok in particular is an onboard ramp towards pornography. I mean, mm -hmm. honestly, it is. And it's hyper real. It's like a psyop because it's like, it's, you know, it's nothing you want to be scrolling if you're trying to keep your mind focused. Let's put it that way. Um, and maybe I'm calling out my own algorithm, and if that's the case, then so be it. Yeah, I don't know. It seemed to lead me in that direction, though, I will say. I, you know, like, I do sometimes then end up watching certain videos longer than others. Guilty as charged. It's, But it's a setup, you know? And it's a weird one. So that goes with the mental health thing as well. I mean, you know... I want to I'm not going to like look at it. That's my approach. I, right now I'm kind of all output all the time. Mm -hmm. Or at least that's what I'm attempting, you know. That's the thing, yes. right? You give it your content and that helps mostly other people. If you start giving it your attention, that helps the social media companies. And so Right. You know, but also like what's what's interesting about the idea of sort of treating it like an art form is then it really requires discipline too just like learning an instrument does you Huge. start that over many years and you get to a place where it's like secondhand nature and i think like the best social media people they get there too one day uh, they seem to always get this level of mastery a lot like you know a pianist on their piano or what have you so i feel like that can help with the mental health you know issue too to kind of use it in a very disciplined way kind of like what you're saying joe yeah yeah, absolutely. It, you, you almost have to look at it like it's a job, which is weird because we've been sort of trained to be embarrassed about it. It's like, oh, if you post a lot, what are you, a narcissist? It's like you can't look at it like that if you're an artist. I had an artist um, on my podcast, um, not podcast, on my radio show, TNT Radio, um, fantastic spoken word artist. Um, and, uh, you know acoustic folky sort of songs and then sometimes would rap um really but he mainly just uses twitter and he approaches it very sort of just in in what would normally be considered a very sane way i post here and there i don't want to bug people too much it's like yes like that makes sense but that won't that won't change anything and it's a, it's a similar thing. Like he's, I think, waiting for some other people to sort of share it. And there's this idea that you don't want to be too uh, in everybody's face. And I get that, but just from what I, what I can tell, if you want to move the dial, you need to come come out. The, especially if you're coming from a place of being unknown. I mean, if you're Kanye West or if you're Elon Musk. Or if you're a massive character, if you've already made it, right? And if you're already like completely financially sovereign and you have a team and you have a massive base, of course, you don't have to post five times a day. We're talking about people that haven't yet got to that place. And if you want to get to that place, doing it any other way than than be making a real noise on social media, I don't know how much, I don't know if there's a way another onboard right now i really don't i mean is a radio station going to suddenly add your single i mean this is like the music industry i came up with it was all about oh my god if if uh what's the one if uh, kexp or what's the one kcrw oh my god if kcrw added your song forget it you're gonna go sell the troubadour out probably two nights maybe more you know you're gonna have a career but I, like, does KCRW still have that, or are they, or are they paying attention to who's blowing up on social media? They're following social media. That's the point. 
the music industry is fall they're signing fan bases they're not signing artists anymore yeah i think you're right man i mean honestly today all of the musical activity is just social media accounts right what you that's do it. you know it, it is that's the entry point everybody has to the label to the artist to the venues even so it all really does come from this digital uh, ecosystem that musicians are traditionally not really in control of it all and don't really have places of authority in. And so I think you are setting up a pretty interesting challenge there. It's, it, it, to me, I'm looking at the landscape and just going, okay, I want to I I get from here to here. How do I do that? And when I take a realistic look at it, I mean, like we started this with one song a week, right? And that's great. But that in and of itself, with like a few scattering other posts or whatever, and even if you amp that up, that needs to be part of the whole equation. There needs to be a whole other levels of this equation. And that kicked off the, the thing and that should always be there and then this podcast and then we should be more consistent with this and then clip this and then put clips of this 30 second little good segments 60 second segments do those on youtube shorts do those on tiktok you know that's the thing youtube shorts right now is like tiktok was um a few years ago youtube everybody's afraid of tiktok instagram is trying to become tiktok and YouTube is going after TikTok. And the way YouTube is going to do it is through YouTube Shorts. So there's a giant opportunity there if you start making short-form videos of your artistic content. So what we should do is chop this podcast up, you know, little 30-second uh, shorts. Or I haven't even messed with YouTube Shorts. This is all part of what I mean about gearing up the machine. I... I I'm taking in a lot of this information and it's it's fun once you like get like you know don't despise small beginnings the lord rejoices at when the work begins and you feel that the way you feel the lord rejoicing is through inspiration and it's weird because you honestly can get that same level of inspiration and sort of positive momentum through starting even something like, okay, let me figure out marketing in 2022. How would you do that? And then it becomes Andy Warhol. That's what Andy Warhol figured out. His art, and he would often say that, art, the best art is making money. And that's an offensive thing to say for like puritanical sort of artists that come from the 90s or whatever. But... There is something to that, you know, it's like, and you might as well embrace it because if you want your voice to get out there and you want to be of service to people, then you have to play by the rules of the game that is being presented to you. You know, the most unlikely of people agreed so heavily with this. Um, Ayn Rand said like around the same time that Andy Warhol said that she was also saying money's the root of all good, not the root of all evil. Because right. you can do so many terrible things without spending a dime, but if you want to do anything good, typically you have to spend some sort of money to make it happen because it has to go past just you. And once you've gone into that domain with your music or with whatever your art is, you need capital to get it in front of people. And so in that way, you really can't do much good without spending some sort of money. The root of all evil is the love of money, not money. It's loving money. It's loving it. You know, it's worshiping it. That's the root of all evil. Money I, is not and, evil. And using music to pursue it, that's, that's truly bad. Yes. <laughs> you got to do it just because you got to do it. You know, music is like something that you have to make, you know? Yeah. Absolutely. But at the same time, I don't know. There's, there's a blend there with your art and... I think art comes from all kinds of sides of yourself and, and a sort of well-balanced artistic uh, expression is partially rooted in raw ambition and survival and partially rooted in divine love of God and purity. And, and you know what I mean? It's a mix. It's not one thing or the other, I don't think. Especially in music, right? It's so essential. It's so fundamental to being human. And yeah. I feel like for that reason, it touches so many different things. Yeah. What do you think, Camelia? Well, 
I got momentarily distracted because I realized that I forgot to plug in my Ethernet cord. <laughs> so did we record this? Small beginning. Yes. No, no, no. This is recording. <laughs> it's recording. Oh, good. Well, then we're good. But You're just worried. I'm just wondering if I should try to discreetly plug it in. Or you sound if, good. Am I coming across to y'all? Yeah. Like, can you guys see Everything's me? Okay. fine. Everything's fine. I, Sorry. I wouldn't worry about it. No, you're all good. So one thing, another thing we were going to talk about today is uh, you were going to maybe review some mastering tricks for home mastering because part of getting a lot of content out there is, you know, I'm in this thing now too where I don't want to bug you too much with like, oh, can you master another one? Can you master another one? Can you? Maybe I should, but I'm trying to get into more self-mastering too. It's just when I make like a video that then ends up having like more than just a one single little like pad from this monster right here but now i'm starting to have beats on them and they're turning into songs and that's cool too uh, but so how do you recommend people self-master i've been using ableton and just putting like saturator a bit warmer some glue compression or a multi-dimensional compressor some eq and put like a limiter on then another compressor and put a little bit of everything and then just try to make it lot like where it goes up as much without making it red well that is that's actually a pretty solid um explanation i think of how it all looks and how it works um you know mastering people have all sorts of opinions about how to do things right and they even have different opinions about what mastering even means but you know to me the whole point of mastering music is just to optimize a mix, you know, for whatever environment it's going to. So if it's going to be on the radio, if it's going to be on vinyl record, these are things that a mastering engineer thinks about and then processes the mix to make it like really good for, you know, being played on like AM radio or really good for uh, being in a movie, for instance, there's all these like different places a mix of music can go. And so, that to me is like the most important thing I think about mastering is that what we do is we take a mix that you love and put a lot of time into and take all of its positive traits and make them stronger and remove the negative traits that might get noticed by a listener. And so ultimately, man, the most important thing to do is to be super happy with your mix. And then, yes, the fun part comes in where I take your mix and I apply mainly limiting a lot of like compression dynamics work and what that allows me to do is to extract more headroom out of the mix and what that gives me the ability to do is make you sound the loudest on the radio or yeah. the most noticed and when you have that edge as an artist that means you get heard you get remembered and it's an important thing recently people have started to think oh I can just do the mix and not worry about the mastering because the Spotify will master it for me, but um, you won't get playlist placement if you don't master your tracks. You know, there's a lot of things that Spotify wants you to do. Uh, one of those is definitely to master the music. So, you know, how does it work? I mean, yeah, make a great mix, be happy with it, and then if you got a friend that can master, that's probably good because you always want more ears on your work. But yeah. if you want to do it yourself, I think Ableton's cool. Um, you typically can do it with all the plugins that are already in the box. Um, yeah. I actually have mass formation psychosis pulled up. I could actually kind of take us through that. Sure. Does that sound cool, Camilla? Yeah, I mean, yeah, can you, is there a way we, we can screenshot your software or something? Wow. Yeah, I'm going to yeah. show the screen. This, can I see it now or no? I think Not everyone's going to see it. almost there. Unbelievable. <laughs> Wow! Now this is this is great. This pot. This reminds me of the Brady Bunch. Now that we're in this, this like, yeah, right. (laughs) Yeah. So, So, um, and what software do you use to master? Well, so I actually I rolled kind of my own thing. I I actually do a custom thing uh, with. So I don't use like a traditional DAW, but I have open here Reaper. And I chose this one because it's available for all types of computers and it's free. And so if you just Google Reaper and you download it, you'll have this same program for life just like I do right now. And what Reaper allows me to do is run plugins, which you know when you apply them to a mix, 
you can start changing the way that they sound. And most people use things like this to make their mix too. And so many people already are in Reaper. And so I just figured this would be a good one to show. So, and Reaper has um, its own internal plugins. It does. And they're pretty good. And are they good? good? They're yeah. pretty good. They're not as good as Ableton's. Um, Ableton's got some pretty good plugins, I would say. Um, and so for that reason, especially when you're mastering, it's most important you don't uh, let any part of that workflow down in terms of the sound quality. So this is where like you would want to spend, in my opinion. And so the, you don't need like a fancy DAW to do mastering, but you do need some fancy plugins. Mm. And so that's the, uh, that's the big rub with mastering. Now I have open here FabFilter. This is the Q3 plugin. This is just an equalizer. Now, one of the first things I always do when I master music is I just listen to it real quick. And I use this plugin to like see it visualize. Two, three, four. Mass formation psychosis has people marching in line. So one of the first, could everybody hear that? Yeah. All right. So one of the first things I always do, because uh, Joseph's mixes always have pretty solid bass, the first thing I always do is I actually roll down bass at around 16 or sometimes How 20. How dare hertz. you? How dare you? This is actually a good thing because it actually gives makes a it louder. Boost. Yeah, what it also does. Yeah, it takes out some of that noise and rumble, and your mic will always pick it up. And you don't want to mess with it on the mix, but the mastering engineer definitely should do this. Okay, and do you do like um, what's it called side chain EQing, like where you sort of do like different, like you know what I mean? Like there's the sides, and then there's yeah. the center, the mids, mid. and all that. That's the last step. So what I oh, okay. always do. I kind of like get the core mix sounding exactly how I want it. Then I open up the stereo by mid side. And so I'll do that in a few minutes. Okay. Um, but in addition to this one, the only other one I recommend, that aren't there. this isn't as big a problem for Joseph because he's got such a, just such a great voice with such a fantastic 500 to 1K. So well, not thanks, everybody, too. seriously, it, it's so easy to master your, your songs because of that. Um, you know, sometimes I tell people, give a bump around here so you can hear your voice better if you're singing. Um, uh. And then the only other one is around 2,000 hertz to 3,000. This is the earache frequency. And so frequently, you'll want to take that down a bit. But what I'll do is I'll use this plugin to frames like find where that is. Where is that pain point? Okay, and, and you like solo right, that frequency. Yeah, it's like right here. Head of box rocks. formation psychosis. So sound better already. You can hear probably a little difference. Um, yeah, definitely. It does, I'll can. go into that next one though you mentioned, which was mid side processing. This is fun. This is a multi band compressor. Uh, what I do with this one. I bring out parts of the mix that you know maybe deserve to be heard better. So you can solo just like on the other one, an area of the mix. This is pretty simple, you know, in terms of what I'm doing. You can hear right the difference. You're just applying a little compression. It's a little bouncier now. If I take the solo off. So, you, when you were soloing it, you found, I noticed, I think you found an area that sounded particularly muddy, mm -hmm. right? And yes, then sir. you're like, oh, yeah, let me empty that. Yeah, I saw, I saw what you just did there. That's great. So, yeah, huh. what you do, you use these plugins so you can hear yeah. what is being hidden by all the other sounds. And so, yeah. a lot of times, the value of a plugin is not so much what it does to the mix, but it's what it shows you about mm. the mix. And so, and the, the way you wield it, I mean, you know. Well, it's it, it's a hidden trick of the trade, I guess. But honestly, dude, this is like, I really encourage people to take this approach. Learn how to master your mixes if you're a musician, because it's one of the best ways to understand how your creative work 
becomes a product because that's ultimately what the process is. And you're taking a, a, a fantastic work of art and you're then making it so it can be consumed all over the place. And so this it's a goes, really great benefit. Yeah, and this goes in line with everything we've just been saying too, which is yeah. like in this new day and age, content is king, really. And so, you know, back in the day, we made like you could, again, you were just like, oh man, I'm in the studio for two years contemplating <laughs> 10 songs and working with a producer and then we're remixing it and then we send it to you know, sterling sound in New York City for some somebody to master it for sure. $7,000, 10 <laughs> songs. You know what I mean? Like, And so then a... that those days are gone. I mean, not for everybody. Those days are still here for some people, but for the lion's share of the people out there, that's not what time it is. What time it is now is you made a track, you should at least get a clip of it or some representation of it out there and be like, pumping your things if you don't want to release the whole thing i just like to release stuff so and if i don't want to bug andrew and be like hey dude can you hey dude there's another one and, and and sometimes you want to be immediate with it so if you learn this thing then you can at least give it a decent master and get it out yeah and, and you know i will say just to kind of cap off this whole thing um this is super critical if you want to be noticed on social media you gotta have a good limiter and that's the one thing that you brought up too earlier on. This is so important. Like, it's, it's not going to hurt your ears, but you're going to notice how much louder this mix gets just by raising this bar right here. Mass formation psychosis at war With voices of dissent Tumblr out God's connections Making sure Wow, so what no, I just did okay. there. This I, is this is important. This part right here. Right. Dude. Fab yeah, filter this. L2. <laughs> I, I can't stress this enough. This oh, is yeah, mastering yeah, engineer I, in a box. Yeah. And it's so important. There's a lot of limiters out there and all sorts of people have opinions on them, but this one is for the mastering engineer because what it does, it raises your gain as much as you have to go up, but it doesn't clip. It keeps everything under zero. And it does it musically. It's not robotic. It sounds really good. Right? Wow, so it's Fab Filter. Yeah. We need them to sponsor this podcast. <laughs> Call them up. Fab Filter what? Uh, it's the L2. The L2. Does Ableton have an L2? They have a limiter, and it's actually pretty good, guys. Um, I wouldn't discourage you to use it. The only thing is uh, yeah. you want to sound like a super pro, right? You yeah. spend the 169 I think, that L2 costs. And oh really? You just start to play with it because wow. This is the trick that most mastering engineers have in their toolbox. Is something the like L two. Yeah, it's a popular <laughs> one. All right, I'm 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 gonna have to get that. that you know, L like the distressors. You know, did you ever use the distressor outboard gear for like mics? You know, for it's like a compressor. Bro, of course. I'm old yeah. school music business. You. <laughs> It's you know how many studios that. I've walked in with, with like racks of distressors? Okay. Like that was right. like, you know. Yeah, so the L2, it's called the L2 Fab 5 Freddy. <laughs> Fab filter. Fab filter. Yeah. Actually, I got, a, I got like a, I typed up a little slide here. Let me see if I can get that up there. That's so helpful. Notes, now, now let me ask you this. There you go. Oh, dude, you guys amaze me. I love you guys. <laughs> You're my, you're my favorite couple, at least in Tennessee. <laughs> well, that's sure. an honor. There's some good couples out here. <laughs> yeah, but you guys, number one. So, so I'll just also so, mention all the yeah. fat filter plugins I use. If you buy them all separately, they're like 600 bucks, but they have a mastering bundle. And that one only costs 400 something. And that's huh. the main toolkit I use is this fat filter mastering kit. Fab filter mastering kit. And, um, so so that's going to make that's going to change the game if I got that probably. Yeah, I mean and it, if you use it right there's very little that can go wrong. So So can do you use it inside of Ableton or is it a standalone you just upload your mix into it? It can go into Ableton. It can also be run independently. That way you can like practice on other mixes that you have that aren't in, you know, Ableton as well. So you can do it both ways. 
Right. Interesting. And then you and do you then also do the A B? Like, do you find a song you think sounds somewhat in the same ballpark as the one you're mastering, and then do like a back and forth check? It's a good idea. I mean, it would depend on kind of where you are in your career. I would say if um, if you really mix all these tracks and you're like super happy with how they sound sometimes the best thing to do is just to take a week away yeah. and then just come back to it and work on them how you're used to uh, but in like a different session other people might really benefit from doing just that though like if you're now take Kurt Cobain In Utero is a very well mastered album uh, if you ever were trying to do music like that that would be a good example and if Steve you Google Albini. it up Absolutely, man. Yeah, I actually have some of the mix sessions for that too. That's some wild stuff. Um, well, there's controversy there too, because yeah. he wanted to like bump up the vocals, and then Steve Albini was like, "I'll work with you guys if you don't do that kind of remixing <laughs> stuff." And then uh, Kurt Cobain was like, "Yeah, okay, for sure." And then it was like, "Actually, I want this to be the vocal to be louder." Well, that's why you Fair have the producer enough, knob. You just I, put the knob on the mixer. And it, you pretend that it does something, but it actually doesn't. Yeah, the Da Vinci thing where he goes up, or you know, like, or who is it? Michelangelo, the the Sixteenth Chapel, or something. The famous story of like the preacher going like, "Hey, dude, change that," and he goes up there, you grab some uh, soot or you know, yeah. evidence, and he acts like he's changing something and drops it out of his hand. And then he comes down, he didn't change anything, and he's like, much better. That's <laughs> the original gotta... producer button. <laughs> yeah, right. The producer yeah. knob in the 11th century, whatever that was. Yeah. 13th. Whichever century. <laughs> well, that's helpful. So uh, if somebody just wants to use a limiter in Ableton, how do you find out? There should always be like a button on every limiter that like, press this button and it's as loud as it can go without clipping or do you just look at the level or how do you do that you turn it up until uh you know what i'm saying yeah it's a good question and like honestly uh every limiter behaves a little differently some of them actually don't let you do this at all it's called a brick wall limiter so stay away right. from that one what you're doing here with most limiters you push up the gain um on the left here as right. much as you want it to go and then on this output level button here you turn it down so that the um the effect, so it'll never clip yeah so because if you leave it at zero there's a chance that everything could kind of clash together and make a clip happen even though you didn't intend it so, so you, you put it down, down to like negative one or negative two i just do like honestly as low as low as i can get it so i have this now at 0 0.04 i see and so half, that way, half a dB. Yeah, that way I'm yeah. only going as far down as I have to go. All right, so just giving yourself a little cushion, then you then you push the whole mix into the red, basically. Yeah. Without um, going without going ballistic. Exactly. Sort but of I thing. always aim for uh, just for that. You know, your chorus is always going to be the one that you want to really smack, right? So traditionally, that's going to be where your loudest point in your song is. And then you might have a one to two decibel difference in the dynamics on the other parts of the song. And that's really about it. Most music today, when it's well mastered, it's got a dynamic range of like three to one. So it yeah. won't ever be less than a, a third loud, louder than any other part. So you're going to be doing a lot of compression. Today's music is very heavily compressed. Right. For the most part. Well, because like you said, I want to make your music sound louder. You're not the only one having those thoughts. Absolutely. <laughs> you know? Like a, there's a legion of mastering engineers. So there's something called the volume wars and it got ridiculous. It got to a ridiculous degree where the, but the problem with just going for raw volume is then you lose all dynamics. So music doesn't have to, so if you listen to older records, they're quieter, but they're also more dynamic exciting yeah like yeah. listen to led zeppelin's earlier records and then listen to the red hot chili peppers releases like um californication and uh the one that came after that uh there is no difference between the lo loudest and the softest part of that record it's all right. pretty much as high as it can get 
But it definitely yeah. worked for them. So. Yeah. Well, they're they're unique, man. I I I like them. I have to say, I you know, I, it's not like I listen to their records, but whenever I hear them, I'm, I enjoy them because they're original. You know, Anthony Kiedis, like him or not, I mean, he's original. He's got an original voice, and I don't know. They're a great band. We were just I know talking. They're not, I know they're not cool or whatever. Like, <laughs> Wait, that's or the they, thing. they weren't. Maybe they are now. I don't know. They're like classic rock now, right? Yeah. <laughs> no doubt is, too, I think. <laughs> right. Isn't that it's crazy? It's so weird. Yeah. Well, it's 30 years ago now, dude. That's I mean, true. It's... Oh, goodness. It is, isn't it? We were just yeah. watching a No Doubt uh, concert from 97, um, and it was just... It was just really fantastic. Like the, yeah. I don't know. I no, they're we good. Used to be a lot better at their instruments than they are now, which is very. I've said it. Concerning. <laughs> no, I've said it a bunch recently. We thought in the '90s when all that stuff was going on, and then you know you have even the bands, you know, that were considered cooler than those bands. Um, like Nirvana was cool, but. Um, Oh, well, is that? It was like Sonic Youth, you know, it was like considered yeah. so much more hardcore, right, than No Doubt. But when I see them both in a 90s concert setting, they both appear to be the same degree of like intense. Yeah. And they're both just as good at their instruments, you know. Yeah, it's marketing, but it's also, yeah, Sonic Youth was pretty awesome, punk rock. But oh, yeah. what I was getting ready to say is, yeah, we thought we were like cheesy. All those bands, you know what I mean? Like, we didn't think we were as good as what those bands were while we were in it. Because we thought it was going to get just better and better and better from there. And then it did this. <laughs> so then now those bands look like, wait, those guys were amazing. You know? <laughs> I mean, that stuff all shines today. And then, like, you watch episodes of Pimp My Ride from, like, the early 2000s, and you just kind of see where music went. It stopped being about performing. Well, you know, and so here's the uh, thing is, where is it going? Because, and here's where I think, like, our influence can be profound. Because um, you can just sort of go with the sort of TikTok nature and all the social media nature. Or you can try to bump the algorithm by making art and just blasting it out there and i think creativity there's a place for creativity to sort of um take hold still within all this i think we're in like the sort of if you look at it like the record business like the early like lollipop 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 like we're in that phase of TikTok. But I think we're still going to get to, it was 20 years ago today. It's such a, you know, we're still not there yet. And I think it can go that direction. But if you just judge it on lollipop, lollipop, pop, 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 lollipop, and go, I'm not participating, then it, <laughs> won't, then it won't go there. You have to um, take Sergeant Peppers to the medium. Uh -huh. that's, and that's then, pretty deep, dude. It is deep, yeah. I it. It, yeah, I think you can. And it, there's huge room to do that. And actually, I think it's a good strategy. I don't think it's a good strategy to play the game completely the way they're sort of instructing you to play it. I think you can rewrite the game to a degree. You, but, but in order to do that, you have to play the game in terms of output. I don't think you can just go like make some tremendous art thing and then go, here it is, TikTok, here's my masterpiece. This is my one post this month. I've cultivated it for ages. I've been in the studio. It's my, it's, you know, it's my masterwork. Enjoy it. Oh, I got two likes, you know. It's like, because in order for you to get, 
you know, you have to just like, like sort of go, nah, 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 nah. but you can do that with high art. That's the idea. And then you can um, influence. It's like a wild thing about TikTok is that uh, when you do put out something, it's sort of like you're asking the rest of the platform to take it and do what they can with it too. And so in a sense, that's a really musical kind of way to think about it, right? And that's such a cool thing about like the lyric videos, for instance, that we've been trying out lately. Thanks for doing that one in the movies, by the way. Wasn't that wild? That was so cool. Um, Camellia picked so... a really good scene for that. Well, that's a it's... good example of what you're talking about. You spend, yeah. you get so excited that you finish something, and then it's like, oh, like what do I? How do I get people to watch this? Well, but so that song you, came you out. Don't... You you don't I mean you you can't pay attention to results until like a year from now. You really can't. You have to go go go. And if you are policing your results on a day by day basis, you're dead in the water. I would like mm-hmm. to meet the person's. Uh, I don't know. Maybe maybe that's my own makeup, but. At my age, like I, I would, I don't have what it takes to do all this stuff and police results and not be discouraged by it. I think you have to. It's like use the force, Luke, kind of thing. Like you just you go and you go and you go, and then the thing is, is you don't. Okay, so we put that uh, mo- um, movies lyric video out, which is awesome. Really, I loved it. I thought it was great. I think we should put it out again. I mean, I like, and I think we need to put. I think we need to clip shorts of these lyric videos, thirty seconds, and do YouTube shorts. Like, you don't just put out put out one thing, and then wait. You have to just keep. Like, I think what you aim for is um, what I've heard. I've heard other people talk about this lately. Is Aim for a hundred pieces of content a week across all social media platforms and and angle them towards I think that's what I'm that's what we're talking about here. Like an absurd amount. Like so if you're gonna put out two or three things and get your feelings hurt, that you're done. That's like going in a boxing ring with Mike Tyson and putting your hands behind your back and trying to knock him out with your shoulder. You know, it's like, forget it. You know, you have to do so much more than what you think. And according to all the research I've been doing lately, it's just, it's a blitz. You have to do a blitzkrieg. And the thing is, most people won't do it. So you can in this day and age separate yourself in that and just by volume also relevance oh sorry Camilla well yeah I I was going to say like you know a lot of this stuff just boils down to time and patience and um, I think that's why like we're going to share a post about how to make the lyric videos um, with the tools that Andrew has showed me so you know obviously there's a learning curve initially but then once you once you get it going you can just churn things out faster and faster and then the more things you have like that under your belt the easier it is to do the content part so then you can focus on the marketing stuff and like tweaking that and so I think yeah there's just obviously like an initial um, learning curve with everything but like really focusing on efficiency and being thoughtful about things I think will really help help people succeed because I think it just really just drive and determination and just trying to figure out how to make things easier and then sharing information with each other could really get everyone a long way. That's great. Absolutely. And then you, you guys make that podcast and then do it with the movies video and then cut those up into clips for YouTube shorts and TikToks. And then also then we like, oh, here's a higher resolution because the one we posted is low resolution. Oh, here's a higher resolution of the movies one or something like that, you know, or whatever it is. But that's the way you promote a video. You, you're not just one post. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What were you about to say, Andrew? Well, just that, you know, what was so interesting to realize about the lyric video stuff was that... Um, it shows you that a song is never just a song now, right? And I think that was an inspiring thing to go through because I started to think, 
oh, we could do a monster movie version of this, you know, for Halloween, and that gives you relevance, and that puts you on the algorithm, too. And um, it's those kinds of things. Like, anytime you make a new piece of music, it's no longer just that anymore, or it doesn't have to be. And one way you can get there is uh, if you just make all the content that you can kind of stemming from your creative output, right? And a lyric video is one way to do it, and we can keep making more of them, and we can do it for other songs, or we can just keep re-releasing the, the first one under different contexts, and then the song never dies, and it keeps having relevance. That's a great idea. You know what? You should do a monster movie version of it. Just can you plug it in? It's easy, yeah. right? Once you have the... That's what I mean about the factory thing. Yeah. Do a Halloween yeah. version of the movies, and then we do, like, the movie's Halloween version, you know? And it's like, that's the kind of idea. And then... You're not precious. It's just about keeping content going. And in a way, it's exciting because it does push you into creativity. Yeah. And if you use it as that kind of tool and don't look at it as like, oh, I, I hate this. Look at it as like an opportunity, you know? Mm -hmm. Well, it's like you've had music uh, that you've done, right, in, in pretty big movies. Uh, it does take on a different feeling, right, once you hear your own work in the context of a feature film versus just from like, you know, the record that you put it out on, don't you find that it takes on like a new life from having done that? A hundred percent. Well, that lyric video, which is out now, everybody watching this, go watch it on YouTube or wherever else we've put it out, which is everywhere else, even LinkedIn. That's another, <laughs> that's another, uh, honestly, I've been posting on LinkedIn lately now the too. HR people. Oh, yeah. I'm just I'm treating LinkedIn like all the other things. I'm putting all this creative work on LinkedIn. Like why not? Yeah, like, you well. yeah. Any job offers yet? People say like deranged <laughs> shit on LinkedIn. They do? I don't know. Yeah, I don't... it's like I'm like this is if you, I mean it makes sense that you're posting music because you're a musician, but people it's just really turning into like a dating platform or like a get fired from oh. a job platform. Anyway, well, his five, music's sorry. gonna help uh, balance that out a bit. Yeah. I'm just going to post. Uh, I'm just treating it like Stay a social posted. media platform, you know? Like, I don't know. Yeah. I don't like If it's weird, it's weird. I don't care. Yeah, I like it. <laughs> so, um, yeah, that lyric video is great. I mean, that I thought that scene was perfect. It just was like, it told a story. It was a great video. So, yeah, do a monster movie version. That's a good idea. That would be fun. And oh. then also, like, one for Heart Speak, too, so we can get that out. Yeah. You know. I was going to say, we made that video, just for all the listeners, um, by getting a, a free video from archive.org. It's all um, public domain, and so you can take that work and use it in any way you want to. And there's a lot of good stuff. They have, like, the original Frankenstein and Dracula there, and you can just Archive.org, huh? Yeah, it's all there. Everything wow. in the public domain has been archived there, pretty much. It's a very good wow. resource for this archive.org I'm writing that down well that's great man I think what we should do is we should do a podcast every week if we can try to be consistent with it I don't know do you guys want to do it I think the three of us doing it is good and then we could like get guests sometimes and all that I mean what do you guys think I'm having I'm a blast let's do it yeah and then we could start chopping up things and then posting them to YouTube shorts and promote it that way and be like Hey, this is like kind of an open discussion about independent music release, basically, which is what it is. It's kind of like a weekly meeting, which keeps us going. I can then, after this podcast ends, we could record, I could do a couple songs. We could give them to Gumroad tonight or whatever for the exclusive. So we're like making progress in that direction too. And then uh, reconvene next week, Saturday. I'm all about it. Down to Dude, you thank you for. To your huh? Oh, and I got. I should do that too. I will do that this week for sure. I gotta. I just have to go look at what the passwords are, uh, or, or reset them or something like that. But then that's like some weird Google rabbit hole. Yeah, that's right. But I'll do it. Yeah. Um, Andrew, thanks for the tips on mastering as well. That's helpful. That was Absolutely. I'm happy to help. I want everyone to learn how to do it so that they all can be empowered. See, it's That's amazing. I, it. I love it. 
Camelia, thank you as well for all that you do. I really appreciate it. And uh, this has been fun. This has been a blast. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So we'll, the three amigos, we'll be back next week. Maybe we'll get Lance to come on or something and cool, yeah. shoot, shoot the shit with him. Grady okay. Haas, I mean. Uh, all right. Cool. Um, should we stop this podcast and then I'll play a couple jams for Gumroad? Yeah, I'll email you a new link for that one. Okay. Righteous. Cool. Okay, cool. Righteous. Bye. Bye, everybody. God bless.